We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth, the panel show about incredible truth and barely credible lies. Our four comedians this week are all blessed with the ability to laugh at themselves. Well, it's a start. <laughs> Please welcome David O'Doherty, Susan Kalman, John Richardson and Arthur Smith. <laughs> the rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five pieces of true information which they should attempt to smuggle past their opponents, cunningly concealed amongst the lies. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Arthur Smith. Arthur, your subject is Yorkshire, described by my encyclopaedia as a historic county of northern England divided since 1974 into north, west and south Yorkshire, as well as the east riding of Yorkshire. Off you go, Arthur. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. It was Friedrich Nietzsche who once observed a Yorkshireman is like a Scotsman with all the generosity squeezed out of him. <laughs> In York... If you are within the city walls, it is legal to shoot a Scotsman with a bow and arrow, to tether a Welshman to a tree, and to take all your clothes off and shout, E by gum, it's cool today. Susan. I think it might be that you're allowed to shoot a, shoot a Scotsman with a bow and arrow. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how well it would stand up in court, but it's a local bylaw. You can kill a Scotsman anywhere and at any time within the boundaries of the city, except Sundays, but only if he is causing a threat by being in possession of a bow and arrow. It comes from the days of regular medieval conflicts between Scotland and England, York being the northern capital and an important military location. You know, it's quite a good idea for an episode of Midsummer Murders, though, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> the longest ears ever known belonged to one Thomas Wedders of Yorkshire, and they measured seven and a half inches, the same length as his nose, which was the longest nose ever. He was known as Welly the Elephant. <laughs> the people of Yorkshire are a distinct ethnic type, which makes them physically unable to have sex with people from Lancashire. <laughs> One out of five Yorkshiremen is related to the other four. <laughs> Felbeck Falls in Yorkshire is twice the height of Niagara, and Yorkshire is twice the size of Mexico. Half the world's heather is in Yorkshire. I mean, if that fact is made up, it is so supremely mundane that <laughs> I, I think it would take an extraordinary mind... That's definitely true. Half the world's heather is definitely in Yorkshire. No, no, that oh is... Oh, my goodness. David, half the world's Don't get heather, heather in very many... No, it's true. I remember reading, that's why I made the fact up. But it's something like half the world's heather is in Britain, I think. <laughs> Easter Sunday, 1461, saw the bloodiest day in British history in Towton in Yorkshire when 1% of the English male population was killed. That has got to be one of the most violent football matches ever. Susan. Yep. Uh, 1% bloody thing. The, He's just bombarding me yeah. with things. This mm. is the, it's becoming quite difficult. But to... you're very good, Susan, because I can reveal that is indeed true, isn't it? It David? is indeed true. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, and I, 
that's, it shows with a bit of distance you can give the killing of 28,000 people a small round of applause. <laughs> um, uh, yes, which it was 28,000 people are thought to have died on that day during the yeah, Wars of the Roses. Quite cruel, was it? 1% of the male population. Yeah, it was... That was a hell of a day. Yeah. The famous Yorkshire song on Ilkley Moor Bar Tat has been variously covered by Lady Gaga, <laughs> ACDC, Kate Bush and MC Hammer. <laughs> a popular cure for whooping cough in 19th century Yorkshire was to drink a soup containing nine frogs. John. Do you know, at the point of buzzing, I'm either going to go for that or Kate Bush covering it on Ilkley Moorbar Tat. The Bush one, The further on. I get from it seems... I can hear it now. It's actually... Come on, let's hear yeah. it. I've produced it in my head. I want to hear it, John. Go on. No, you don't. It's not good. Here we go, and now we want now do MC Hammer. <laughs> uh, which one are, are you going for? The Kate Bush cover or in in a long term life sense? Yeah, I'm going for that. Yeah. But in the game, I'm going to go for the frogs thing. The frogs whooping cough thing. Yeah, that is the truer of the two things. Oh. In that it's true. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> And at the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle two truths hey. past the rest of the panel. Which are that Thomas Wedders of Yorkshire possessed the longest nose on record, measuring seven and a half inches. I mean, uh, if you think that, it's really long, isn't it? That's like about that long, isn't it? I mean, imagine having a nose Yeah, but just for, for those who can't see at home, he's, he's <laughs> saying about, about that long. Um, <laughs> And as a result, he was exhibited in circus sideshows throughout Yorkshire in the 1770s. And the second truth is that Fellbeck Waterfall in Yorkshire is twice the height of Niagara Falls. But actually, the thing about Niagara Falls is not how high it is. It's, it's very wide and spectacular, yeah. isn't it? So I imagine it looks a lot more impressive than Fellbeck Well, would you Waterfall. go to bloody Niagara Falls when you got sodded Yorkshire? Yeah. <laughs> I really like Yorkshire. I, they've, they've always been very friendly to me. We've, I've had some good nights out in Yorkshire. I think they're lovely. I, I, yeah. I, You've really insulted the people of Lancashire there. I really like Lancashire as well. I don't understand you these things. You can't like both, Susan. Pick a team. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it sounds like but we're not taught. Okay, let's uh, so, we'll sort out Yorkshire and Lancashire, and then it's Israel-Palestine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a disagreement? They did have a disagreement, and uh, at one point in 1461, 28,000 people were killed <laughs> in the we're disagreement. Not, we're not really taught about... Um, it was about these... flowers, basically. It was about flowers? Yeah. We really like red ones, and they really like white ones. Right. And we weren't are off... You are you from one of those places? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a Lancastrian. Right. Oh. From Lancashire. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a place in Lancashire would be... Lancaster. Lancaster. Yeah. <laughs> we don't muck um, about. You're... I, I don't... I can't... I genuinely can't tell the difference between the... the, the, the I, I can't... I'm sorry. Imagine flicking from Coronation Street to Emmerdale. That's probably... The they the same. How can you flick between them? They're on the same channel. You just have to wait for one to end and the next one <laughs> <can> begin. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that means, uh, Arthur, you've scored two points. <laughs> Next up is John Richardson. John, your subject is soft or fizzy drinks, non-alcoholic beverages, typically carbonated, sweetened and flavoured, which are sold in bottles or cans. Off you go, John. 
canny manufacturers have launched a number of fizzy products, such as fizzy paint, fizzy whiskey, and most controversially of all, flat tango, marketed under the ridiculous name orange juice. <laughs> fizzy milk was described by its inventors as like a birthday party for a polar bear. The product had to be pulled, as the polar bear on the label constantly attacked the seal on the bottle, causing the gas to escape. <laughs> David. I wouldn't be surprised if someone at some point had tried to manufacture fizzy milk. Well, you're right not to be surprised, because they have. Yes. And it was Coca-Cola who began trialling a carbonated milk drink called Vio in New York in 2009. I want some. Well, uh, they said it would expand distribution if the trial was successful. And <laughs> I, I think we can infer from our newsagent <laughs> shelves how it went. Since the birth of Jim Carrey, drinks have been kept fizzy by the use of a ring pull, which existed as a wrestling move years before it was used on cans. Before that, people opened cans with their teeth, leading to a quarter of a million trips to hospital each year with broken teeth and bleeding gums. Teeth and gums are now destroyed just as effectively and much more quickly by the world-famous Coca-Cola. <laughs> Though world-famous, it is not the most popular drink in a number of countries, such as China, where drinks containing the limbs of endangered animals are preferred. <laughs> One such drink, in which a tiger's left leg is put into the mix before being taken out again, is known as Hokey Cokey. <laughs> Other rivals to the world-famous brand include an Argentinian coffee-flavoured drink called Mocha-Cola, the Peruvian favourite, Inca-Cola, and the Vatican's own brand, Popa-Cola. <laughs> Susan. Inca-Cola, I believe, is true. I think there is uh, something called Inca-Cola, because I have a vague memory of my sister going away somewhere... And uh, she came back with Inca-Cola merchandise. Now, she could have just gone to Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she went to it's... Peru. <laughs> That's completely right, Susan. Inca-Cola is good, true. So... And it does come, as you say, from Peru rather than, than Lancaster land. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really uh... want some of that. Fizzy milk, they make. <laughs> if anyone's listening from Coca-Cola, please send me the last bottle remaining. <laughs> the last I bottle. I imagine that's delicious. The 2009 <laughs> batch of fizzy milk. I reckon that will no longer be a drink but yeah. an award-winning cheese. <laughs> Coke's main rival is a drink invented by Max Drinkelstein in 1928. He is now more popularly known as Pepsi Max. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the fierce rivalry between the companies, Coca-Cola employees are banned from drinking Pepsi in or out of work, and one member of staff was fired for marrying a Pepsi employee. Arthur. I think maybe they are banned from drinking it at work, maybe. There, there's no rule against them drinking Pepsi at work, although a man from Atlanta once alleged he was fired for drinking Pepsi in the Coca-Cola bottling plant <laughs> where he worked. Susan. Can I go for another thing that he said there about no. the, the marriage thing? No. That someone was... The... No. You I don't want to don't, in, don't intervene let, here, don't David, let but... John sledge you. Oh, no, I can't... No, no. Typical I, Lancastrian I, I, bully. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that someone was fired for the, the marriage uh, thingamabob, who do you know what's it that he said? You're absolutely right. Hmm? In How the... does she do this? Yeah, she <laughs> <does>. <laughs> <laughs> 
in 1985, Amanda M. Blake of Northampton, Massachusetts, claimed she was told by her employer, Coca-Cola, that she would either have to end her engagement with her partner, who'd left Coke to work for Pepsi, or convince him to quit. When she defied their ultimatum, she was fired. Sprite is made from actual sprites, and Vimto is made from Vim and Toes. <laughs> Made in Wigan from disused manhole covers, Iron Brew changed its name <laughs> from the correct spelling due to the inability of Scottish people to properly enunciate. <laughs> Tense. <laughs> Which is, of course, how Scottish people say tennis. Whilst the drink does contain delicious, delicious iron, it is not brewed, and therefore should be properly known as synthetic orange filth. <laughs> A name currently trademarked by insert name of fake tanned celebrity here. <laughs> Thank you, John. And at the end of that round, John, you've managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel, which are that since the birth of Jim Carrey, drinks have been kept fizzy by the use of a ring pull. It's not an effect of his birth, but uh, ring pulls were added to cans in 1962, and Carrey was born in January of that year. Oh, that is pure <laughs> That is fast. That, that is, is really stretching it. John, I've been a supporter of you throughout this <laughs> entire show. We've bonded, you've invited me back to your home in Lankana. And <laughs> I wouldn't know. mind if you didn't come from a country that had a county called Lanarkshire. I mean, you can yeah. do this if you want to. Lanarkshire. Just swap the cut round with no, the la Lanarkshire. Thank you. No, I can't do it. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you should come up to uh, Lanarkshire Blue after that last bit about Iron Brew and we'll just have a wee... See. Well, um, <laughs> speaking of which, the second truth is that iron brew is not in fact brewed, although it does contain iron. Uh, that means, John, you've scored two points. <laughs> There's a fizzy drink in Greece called Zit. The bottle it's sold in doesn't actually have a top. You just give it a big squeeze and out it pops. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Susan Kalman. Susan presents an all-new quiz show on Scottish TV called The Lie, where contestants have to separate the true statements from lies. Where do they get their ideas from? <laughs> <laughs> Susan, your subject is skin, the thin layer of tissue which forms the natural outer covering of a human or animal. Off you go, Susan. We shed around a billion skin cells a day. I, think I, I know all these ridiculous numbers. I bet we do shed a billion a day. No. Well, how many do we shed? Uh, just under a million. Well, that's nearly six million. <laughs> it's yeah. like loads, anyway. Yeah, it is loads. It's definitely million and billion both come under the category loads. <laughs> but there are different sorts of loads. How I mean, many have you shed whilst you've been doing this programme? Well, I must say I've lost count. <laughs> but I think I would say, you know, tens of thousands mm. during this recording. Yep. 
The Metropolitan Police have set up an elite squad recruited exclusively from Troublesome Creek, Kentucky, where many residents have blue skin. This makes for a saving on uniforms, as the squad will be deployed completely nude. The butt-naked Bobby on the beat will be allowed to wear a belt, so he has somewhere to keep his truncheon. In addition, flashlights are no longer considered necessary, since there are perfectly good fungal infections that make skin glow in the dark. Oh. John. I'll let David speak for me on this one. <laughs> I you beat you by a couple of skin cells on the end of a finger. Yeah, oh. um, I bet this is true, though. You think this is true? Well, it doesn't mean anything, because they didn't buzz it, but yeah. I'm going <laughs> to... Which pressure? True. The going uh, luminous. Fungal infections that make skin glow in the dark. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Well done, John. Oh. <laughs> um, in fact, doctors are able to diagnose fungal infections of the skin, such as ringworm, by examining a sufferer with UV light. In Belgium, the homeless are being provided with shelters made from human skin because in a lab, a postage-sized stamp, a postage stamp-sized slice of circumstance. A postage stamp-sized slice of circumcised foreskin <laughs> takes just 21 days to grow big enough to cover nine basketball courts. This has led to a huge increase in the number of all-weather basketball clubs amongst the Jewish community. Arthur. I don't really believe any of it's true. I just want to get Susan or you, David, to try and say that phrase. There's just so many S's in it. It was yeah, fun. Have another go, Susan. Yeah, I'm great. OK. A postage stamp-sized slice of circumcised <laughs> it can't be done. A postage stamp sized slice of circumcised foreskin takes just 21 days oh, to grow well big done. enough to cover nine basketball courts. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a timely buzz, Arthur, because that is true. Oh. <laughs> um, you say it, David. Uh, yes, it's true. A postage stamp sized slice of circumcised foreskin <laughs> takes just 21 days to well grow done. big enough to cover nine basketball courts. Um, <laughs> What interests me about this is, though, you know, people say that a lot of people don't like using fur and leather and that sort of thing, but this would be a, this would be a way of growing mm. a hide that involved the death of no one at all. So we could just have... I mean, Start in the past, a business, David. Well, no, in the past, you know, things made out of human skin have, have had a bad reputation, <laughs> and deservedly so. But it could be that in the yep. future, a nice tanned foreskin hide will be the, the perfect way to set up a chic living room. Would you... Uh, would you... If you made a coat out of that, would you put a hood on it, or would you consider that distasteful? <laughs> <laughs> the act of speedy lovemaking is called Schechter, after the Belgian Formula One driver, because the speed at which erotic sensations travel from the skin to the brain has been clocked at 120 miles an hour. John. The sex thing and the speed of it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a specialist subject, but I'm just... 120 miles an hour? 120 miles an hour speed of erotic sensations, that is true. And it's true, in fact, of all skin sensations. They travel to the brain at speeds, according to various reports, ranging between 120 and 180 miles an hour. Mm. I wonder if they make banana fizzy milk. <laughs> <laughs> We must not end up like Belgium. We must use the strength of our skin, apparently strong enough to suspend the weight of two Jeremy Clarksons for an hour above a lake full of crocodiles. And we must fortify ourselves with the nutrition from the 700,000 skin flakes we inhale each day to stay strong. The skin revolution is here. David. Now, 
I'm going to do something that's never been attempted on this show before. Mm. I'm going to go for what in billiards would be called a cannon. Oh. But what I will call guessing two things there. Oh, right. You're going for a double buzz. I'm going for a double buzz. Okay. So, I'm going to... Actually, you did one before, so that's a triple. Can you withdraw one? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say Clarkson is a 15-stone man. I'm Mm. going to say skin can support 30 stone. And then I'm also going to say that we inhale this amount of skin. 700,000 skin So I'm going to double up. I'm going to put it all on those two. The thing about Jeremy Clarkson being suspended by his skin, that is not true. Shame. The thing about... (laughs) The thing about us all inhaling 700,000 skin flakes a day, that is true. Therefore, you lose a point, you gain a point. It's as if nothing happened, except (laughs) we're all a bit closer to death. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of Susan's lecture. At the end of that uh, round, Susan, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that in Troublesome Creek, Kentucky, a number of the town's inhabitants are sixth-generation descendants of French orphan Martin Fugate. Fugate had a rare recessive gene which resulted in dark blue skin. When one of Fugate's descendants was born in 1975 with skin the colour of a bruised plum, he was rushed to the University of Kentucky Medical Centre for a blood transfusion until it was pointed out by one of the baby's relatives that the baby's great-grandmother, Luna Fugate, was, quote, blue all over and, quote, the bluest woman I ever saw. (laughs) Uh, And that means, Susan, you've scored one point. Next up is David O'Doherty. Your subject, David, is pirates. Persons who attack and rob ships at sea without the authorization of any nation. Off you go, David. In all human history, it's doubtful that a group has been as wildly misremembered over time as the pirates. Even the word pirates is a misspelling of pilates, the system (laughs) they invented along with many other mind and body improvement techniques we have today. Several of them introduced by the notorious privateer Alexander Technique. (laughs) Holistic pirate captains presided over incredibly calm ships. Crews were democratic with all pirates voting on major decisions. Maybe they were democratic, some of these pirates. You know, that there was, it wasn't just like the captain was the boss. Maybe it was the beginning of democracy in pirate ships. I'm talking rubbish, aren't I? No, 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 I'm not. You're completely right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Pirate ships in the 17th and 18th centuries were, in general, democratic. All pirates aboard voted on major decisions, and the captain was elected and could be impeached. All booty was distributed among the crew, with the captain getting a larger portion and the rest shared evenly. Oh, pirates are socialists. It's Karl Marx a pirate? Well, he had a beard, didn't he? So, yeah. <laughs> Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Most pirate ships planted palm trees on remote desert islands in an attempt to offset their carbon emissions. <laughs> <laughs> Card games were popular, but gambling for money was usually not allowed on board pirate ships. Arthur? I think probably card games were popular. Certainly when I was a pirate, we used to play Snap all the time. Well, that's not true. Well, how do you know? Well, <laughs> well have you ever been I'll on a pirate you, I'll ship? i tell you how I know that's not true. It's because what is true is that gambling for money was usually not allowed. I was actually going to say that gambling yeah. for money... Wasn't oh come on! I was genuinely. Can I just say now as well? I was going to say all well, the ones see, at the end. Oh, <laughs> this is broken down. Mitchell, no, assume and control. 
No, this is completely broken down, and I, I'd like to blame myself, but I don't have it in me, so I'm going to latch out. OK, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, no, I had to, Susan. I was in an impossible position. The only way I could justify that what Arthur said was nonsense was by revealing the truth. That now, now I, I, how can I know that you were going to buzz in? But I'm frankly, I don't trust you enough to just give you the point. Nicholas Parsons point. never loses control like this. <laughs> he does. Um, uh, I can't give you the That's point okay, there, Susan, David. but I can. You, you have my heartfelt apologies. I accept yeah. those apologies and I thank you for making oh, that's uh, okay, that. Yeah. Shut yeah. up, thank John. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh. I only uh, buzzed because I thought, you know, I wanted just to join in with everybody because it's <laughs> nice when we're all. It's, oh dear, it's turned ugly. It's, it's terrible. Why can't people in the northern half of this <laughs> island just get a be it Scottish, Lancastrian, Yorkshireman? Come on, guys. Pirates were health and safety obsessed. The most common pirate phrases being, R, have ye filled out a risk assessment form? <laughs> and R, make sure you bend your knees before lifting that there treasure. <laughs> Pirate Henry Morgan's ship had a generous workers' compensation plan with a career-ending injury worth 600 pieces of gold, over £100,000 in today's money. Arthur. Maybe there was something like that. They made a lot of money, and there was a pirate called Henry Morgan, wasn't there? Uh, it sort of smacks of being true. The reason for that smack is because of truth. <laughs> you, yeah. have, you have slapped the arse of truth. <laughs> <laughs> On the issue of treasure, pirates couldn't stand the stuff, and there is only one recorded incidence of treasure being buried by a pirate. Arthur. I think it's conceivable. It may only be one actual recorded example of a pirate burying treasure. I think he's you might... He, he's a, right. I think is... you might be a pirate. <laughs> uh, yes, you're absolutely right. The only pirate known to have buried treasure was the Scottish pirate Captain Kidd, who buried some captured loot on the tip of Long Island as he sailed into New York. He'd hoped to use it as a bargaining chip in order to avoid punishment, but was unsuccessful and subsequently hanged. Pirates drank rum because they claimed it stayed fresh longer than casks of water. Now, I'm sorry Arthur. to be technical, but pirates drank rum is clearly true. <laughs> well, well, in fact, though, what was being asserted in that sentence was the reason that why That is a drank. sentence. Pirates drank no, rum. Yeah, but it wasn't, yes, it that, is. I, I didn't even yeah, put a it's comment. a finite clause. Is there anyone here prepared to say that is a finite clause a sentence? David, no, stand I, up to this. You You're losing it again. Go on. <laughs> Stop him. telling me to stand up to people, David. It doesn't help <laughs> me stand up to people. You've got to let me find it within myself. <laughs> now, Arthur, I would be the last person to disagree with the fact that Pirates drank rum is a sentence. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is not the sentence that David spoke. The <laughs> yes, sentence he spoke is pirates drank rum because they claimed it stayed fresh longer than casks of water, which, incidentally, is also true, so you get the point no! anyway. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, David. At the, end of that, at the end of that round, David, I'm afraid to say you've smuggled no truths <laughs> past, past Susan, John and Pirate Arthur. So that means, I'm afraid, David, you've scored no points. Ha! <laughs> Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus two points, it's David O'Doherty. <laughs> In Third place, with two points, it's Arthur Smith. Oh. And in joint first place, 
with six points each, it's this week's winners, John Richardson and Susan Kalman. That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth is devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Arthur Smith, Susan Kalman, John Richardson and David O'Doherty. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.